I actually think that this good connecting, I'm going to say average in a good way sex, right? Because we're not to the chandeliers yet, is I think it becomes in danger when, like maybe you have had this and you started there and you wonder why it disappeared. I think it becomes endangered when you haven't figured out how to do that foundational stuff. And you got to, you got to start here. And like, I want to celebrate that with couples, but I want to like maybe invite them into, I don't know what might end up being some insight that like this good connecting sex has waned and fallen apart because we have not done the other things we talked about in the previous episode. As we move across the continuum, what's increasing? I don't think it's intimacy because I don't think you have to swing from the chandeliers to have the most intimate experience. I think this is about intensity. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain, and I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Hey y'all, welcome back to our six-part series um, on falling back in love with your sex life, uh, where we are unpacking a concept map for a variety of intimate encounters that are going to help your marriage flourish. Um, We have talked about a lot in the series thus far and hope you are enjoying it. I know we're enjoying uh, talking about it because it's one of our favorite topics to share and teach. Um, And today we're going to talk about the point in the continuum called connecting sex. So this is um, that five to seven range um, experience um, similar to nurturing. We're going to talk about where they're different, where they're similar, but again, this middle kind of um, three to seven is where a lot of lovemaking is happening, but we're going to unpack connecting sex today um, and redefine it. We know we have at the beginning in that first episode, but um, really um, unpack not only what it is, but how to um, continue to build a foundation that gets you to this place where you can really appreciate and enjoy this type of sex. Um, And then, you know, where um, maybe some troubleshooting has to happen because it's not problematic to even get here. So as a reminder, the definition here of connecting sex, um, It can be a bit slower. It can be playful. A little more involved. A little more involved than nurturing sex. Um, It can, you know, again, excuse me, y'all. It it can be like that five to seven range. So, again, we've got a few numbers in there. So, it could be a real slow, playful experience. It can can have some passion to it. And it can be a lot. Seven is still pretty up there on a zero to ten scale, y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's some really great sex here. So connecting sex is a lot of fun. Um, My words, I would add that I would add that connecting sex, the way I see this playing out, and this may differ a little bit from the author's intentions, but Mm -hmm. I see that it is a, we're a little bit more on the same page naturally. Mm. Okay. And that invites something. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually get why, you know, we've pushed on it in previous episodes, but I get why couples would get hung up on that because there is something really sweet and easy about being in that space with each other. Oh, 
Totally. So once you start moving above five on this continuum, my experience of it when I work with couples and coaching and therapy is that it is the easier sex. I want to be really careful because I think all good sex takes some work, Mm -hmm. but this is where we actually do find ourselves not exactly in the same place, but more on the same page. Sure. And we are coming to the experience maybe with a little bit more energy set aside in reserves available, whatever you want to say, uh, the context to go back to Emily Nagoski's um, kind of map. When we think about desire, the context is helpful for both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, this is not the battleground. This is actually where I think most people who are reporting a positive sexual experience are probably hanging out. Yeah, I think so. And it feels good. You know, it's good. And it's, um, though easier, not easy, but what makes it easier is that you've done the foundational work to get here. So y'all, I'm so sorry, but we're back at work. (laughs) I honestly believe that like, I don't know, I don't have, I've not... Let me be very clear. This is more anecdotal, not research-based. I don't know what would happen if I went to go look into the research to actually piece this together myself. And and I've read a lot of things, and there's a lot of things I haven't had a chance to get to yet. So, um, But I just, I actually think that this good connecting, I'm going to say average in a good way sex, right? Because we're not to the chandeliers yet, <laughs> is I think it becomes in danger when like maybe you have had this and you started there and you wonder why it disappeared. I think it becomes endangered when you haven't figured out how to do that foundational stuff. And you got to, you got to start here. And like, I want to celebrate that with couples, but I want to like maybe invite them into, I don't know what might end up being some insight that like this good connecting sex has waned and fallen apart because we have not done the other things we've talked about in the previous episode. Yeah, for sure. So you protect it, this easier sex by being able to do the difficult, hard, vulnerable things. Well, let's talk about some things where we're kind of going there naturally. Let's talk about some things that get in the way of, the fertile ground for good connecting sex. Um, it's not just that you have not figured out how to have nurturing sex, although I think that's a big factor. Um, so let's, let's hang out here for a bit and talk about the challenges to good average connecting sex, which mm-hmm. is really great sex. Y'all most sex is good enough to great. Yeah. Um, I think when we're going to talk about things that get in the way, it's helpful to maybe take some different pieces of the pie. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, by definition, I don't think we're questioning whether or not either party is desiring to have sex. Connecting sex typically in some fashion, that doesn't mean the responsive desire is not still a factor here, but it's less in question, or there's been more intention about bringing that up earlier and building that, whatever, whatever. Um, again, we could, we could talk for hours about this. And so we're going to try to be more concise. (laughs) I think a lot of factors are the things that kind of get in the way of, of the arousal part mm-hmm. of the process um, would be, this would, might be a good time to talk about those things. Yeah. What are the factors that start to, I don't know, step on that, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and in some ways, it has some, you'll hear some similar realities and concepts that we talked about in other areas. Um, Men and women are different. No way. Spicy take. I know. Do do tell. (laughs) Um, To the arousal experience. Um, There's also, I think, a lot of myths and meaning making that is very damaging to how people experience their arousal. I also think we're going to talk about brakes and accelerators. Like people really are not, people like to talk about their preferences. Like those are the only brakes and accelerators. I don't think people know how their bodies works when it comes to arousal and like some things they need to pay attention to. So when we talk, I mean, some nuances in arousal, I think, um, I mean, we have your, and I think very commonly what folks think of when they think of arousal, which is, which is that the genital response, right? Yeah. The, like the, the physiological indication. Vasocongestion. The vasocongestion, the lubrication that says, hey, I am aroused. And that is a form of arousal. Our yeah. bodies work that way. And it's great. There's also what we would call subjective arousal. And men and women are different here. Yeah. I love Nagoski's quote, though, to help us understand subjective arousal. <laughs> it's what's between your ears and not between your legs. <laughs> it's yeah. what's happening in your brain, the most sexual organ of your body. Yeah. I'll just pause there for a second. The, the biggest sex organ you have is your brain. Yes. And that has such an impact on, on your genitals, on your, your body. Um, being able to show up to the party and being able to show up to the party and enjoy it. And so again, we'll speak in kind of what we see generally more often in research and experience, you know, men, um, when we talk about arousal, like we'll get, we'll get real nerdy for a second here. We're talking about this idea of there's concordance and non-concordance and I, you know, part of me is like, I like nerdy, you know, <clears throat> I love it. And then, you know, part of me is like, okay, I understand, you know, most of you are like, wait, what? You're, you're teaching us all these new concepts. Um, but that most men have, have an overlap between their genital response and their subjective arousal. Um, it's a strong relationship. And it's so about 50%. It's about 50%. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily like a one-to-one. Um, but there's a there's a strong overlap between those two. Whereas women... It might feel one-to-one compared to women. Yeah, for sure. There's a big I think difference. There's a big difference. Whereas for women, um, there's about a 10% overlap between what her genitals are doing and then... Um, how she subjectively, how she subjectively, so cognitively, emotionally, and even in her desiring nervous for, system yeah. experiencing sex. Um, and, you know, it turns out that in, in research that, you know, there, there's no predictive relationship here, which I know is. Sorry, guys, there's no formula. There's no formula, gentlemen, and I understand that that is so challenging um let's talk about for a second that arousal because i think this is helpful when you're like there's no formula i think there's even a even a more base concept that we're mm -hmm. typically missing which is that arousal is a reflexive response yeah um i i like to try to help people it's like like one of the things that 
we find to be mostly true, although again, there's wide variety amongst people is that like men, a lot of times men report that what is very arousing for them is her arousal, like mm-hmm. observing her arousal. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I, there's no, I have no judgment for that. What I'm saying, what's tricky about that is, is we don't actually get to control our arousal. We get to set up the conditions and the context for arousal to take place. Or we can have those conditions and context forced upon us. When we talk about like trauma or like getting exposed to something unwantedly. But the arousal in and of itself is a reflexive response. And so I think what's been very damaging in our culture is to either be taught that we have control over it or to not, or to fail to teach that it's reflexive. And so we do, again, what we've talked about many times on the podcast and in the series is that like this, I I don't know. I think a lot of people are walking around feeling like they should be in control of something that they are in fact not in control of. Yeah. And so some of the things that shut down the context for this is when we try to control for it because we're really trying to like force something to happen because we, I don't know. And there's all these cultural measures unlike if she doesn't get aroused in this way. And it's, it's a lot of it's against women. If I'm being honest, because I, I think we've paid attention a little bit more to men historically and some of the original research, because guys, your genitals are on the outside. You're a little bit more accessible. Uh, you know, there's, there's some reasons for it um, that are, you know, net neutral. And then some of them that are about some of the, um, you know, oriented and some of the wounding against women. But all that to say, it's like we measure a bunch of things that should not be measured by arousal. And I would say this even dates back to you know, some of the, some of the hot conversations going on right now are like within church culture. Like you should have been able to control your arousal. Mm-hmm. Because of some belief system. So we even go back to like that angle. This is the same stuff that's going to show up in a married couple's life around their arousal is stuff that foundationally was built on those beliefs. Mm-hmm. So if I'm supposed to control it and because women have less overlap, guess what women have learned to do? We have shut that stuff down. In some creative form of internal dissociation, and we've just disconnected with that part of our body mm-hmm. and that part of our mind, and we don't cultivate that for growth later on. And so that that's where that can get tricky. And this is where sometimes when you have issues regarding arousal, either physiologically or psychologically, emotionally, or some some we can talk about word differentiation here. Like I have this expectation that your arousal should look a certain way. Yeah. That will start to corrode at the opportunity to have good connecting sex. Mm-hmm. Arousal is trickier than most people think. Mm-hmm. Not impossible, but we just have all these beliefs that contradict mm-hmm. good fertile ground for that to flourish. Yeah. And it's so wounding and unsatisfying you know oh totally so important to again i think have good just some some basic education on your body and um not that you have to become a you know sexologist to have a healthy understanding and then a healthy sex life but i think I, this has been a point in a lot of my work with 
folks. Um, it's been very freeing and healing for them to go. I have put such meaning around my arousal and like what's wrong with me. And it must mean that I don't want that. My genital arousal doesn't quite um, mm-hmm. match my subjective arousal. And, you know, he has said this about it and I have said this about it. And this comparison that we do and um, even just some basic, you know, biological nervous system understanding of what's going on can just be a game changer. And then, you know, you connect better, right? When you have the same understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really important information. Um, hook back to what took me on that rabbit trail, uh, brakes and accelerators. This is an important concept. If you've picked up any halfway decent book (laughs) on sex, they've probably mentioned this. It's a big deal. Um, I think it's probably true for everywhere on this continuum, but I think when you think about like good connecting sex, those couples have a general awareness of their spouses, brakes and accelerators, and as they ebb and flow over different seasons of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, we're back to communication, right? Um, before, during, after the experience. And so there's this understanding of what pushes the brakes, slows down the process, not preferred to, you know, again, I think everything's a little on a continuum. There's a, you know, I don't prefer it, slows it down for me to full stop. You slammed on the brakes and that's a terrible experience. Um, and then there are things that just accelerate the process and everything from, I mean, can be very small preferences like Brush your teeth, please. <laughs> you know, yeah. That is such an accelerator for Depending me. Depending on what's happened, please take a shower. Take a shower. Um, you know, everything from those small, the hygiene, um, temperature of the room, space, um, kind of setting. There are brakes and accelerators that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Like the context of, ugh, I mean, I could get real existential after this last 15 months, but like... The context of the world, your relationship with it, the context of your house and family. Um, And like we've said in previous episodes, women can be a little bit more contextually tuned in Mm -hmm. than men can. And uh, not that men aren't, because I actually know some men who are very, very, you know, burdened by the context. Um, But the general rule of fun thumb is that males have this, and I'm jealous of it at times, ability to compartmentalize. Um, and there are times when that is an advantage. There are times when it's not, which is why we have this beautiful balance with each other. Um, but context is really going to impact women. And so even things outside of the direct relationship, um, could show up and be an interruption and a break to the experience. And so having those conversations where each other because you are not wired the same, mm-hmm. you know, and allowing that conversation to happen so you can do some perspective taking and consider that. Mm-hmm. And context will ebb and flow and shift and change. And so it's an ongoing <clears throat> dialogue and checking in. And um, there will be some things that are always, you know, 
maybe in the context, but for the most part, I think context is always shifting and changing based on season and experience and the day. Cause you know, no one day season month year, whatever is the same. And so, I think, yeah, sometimes we're so focused on the context of the relationship or the breaks within the relationship that it's like, you know, sometimes there's these external factors, right? Mm-hmm. That we just don't, we compartmentalize to think, oh, we're over here in the sexual experience. And then, um, and, you know, I think even some women, you know, who mm-hmm. aren't as um, compartmentalized will go, oh, well, that's, that's kind of over there. I'm over here, kind of what's wrong with me that that's following me versus, again, being congruent and just honoring that, like, that can show up. Um, Absolutely. Um, One classic break that we we would get to at some point, and it, it, this is not about, like, where on the continuum. This is just a good place for us to talk about it. Um, But trauma. And you and I would probably be accused of possibly flirting with the idea of finding trauma under every rock, um, which we are not actually mm-hmm. proposing and, and putting into the space. What what we do, though, is really thoroughly looking at whether it's technically traumatic, whether it meets the diagnostic criteria for that, but your nervous system is responding like it's trauma, or whether it was just wounding enough to be a stuck place. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about from our training, negative adverse life experiences. And I think people are not comprehensive enough at taking a look at what that might be for them. Um, and then I also think people are a little bit narrow about it because they think it has to be sexual to impact your sex life. Oh, sure. You know, this assumption yeah. that we see that a lot. Like, yeah, but it wasn't sexual trauma. Well, any attachment trauma typically shows up in the sexual space. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, you know, Nancy Houston did a really good job in her book, uh, Love and Sex, talking about attachment being this really key piece mm-hmm. um, to great lovemaking um, and connection. And so we would say, and like, I mean, I, I tease, but I don't tease. We all came in with some attachment issues. Nobody, sure. nobody gets that perfectly. We all are capable of healing from them. And so it would behoove us not to take a look at like what poor attachment situation am I bringing in that is going to show up and, and impede the ability to have good connecting sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. This don't tune out because you hear trauma and go, oh, well, I was, That's not me. wasn't sexual trauma for me. So, um, sometimes it's medical trauma. Sometimes it can be medical trauma. Um, sometimes, um, the attachment ruptures that happen over time or are just, um, so extremely wounding, um, you know, unavailable parent, um, neglect. Um, and there can be just a lot there with our family of origin and how we grew up and the messages that we carry into. Vulnerability is not safe. Vulnerability is not safe. Um, 
We don't talk about hard personal things. Um, inconsistent availability of a parent, you know, where they're in and out. And I don't quite know, you know, so that starts to feel unsafe to be, to show up and be vulnerable. And so I think just really expanding what we mean by trauma um, to be a lot of those things that um, many, many of us, again, we all come in with some sort of attachment struggle. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody's in the Because we attach to, you know, human beings growing up and no one's perfect. And so I think we're all having Our to work that out and what, what inevitably is one of the closest relationships of our life. And then that's just going to play out in our sexual relating. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard. It really is. It's really hard. We could, we could go on and on about breaks and accelerators. Um, let's give a few examples of accelerators. Um, these are the things I like to go back to what you mentioned, maybe in the first episode, was it the first one we talked about, um, Nagoski kind of breaking down, maybe not moving to whenever we talked about desire, that's what it was, um, that it's this invitational pulls you in type thing. That's what we want to like explore. When we talk about accelerators, what helps you what invites you, encourages you, affirms your choice to enter this into this sexual lovemaking experience with um, your partner. And so, you know, sometimes it's clearly the opposite of some of the things we said on the breaks, like when you take a shower, <laughs> yeah. when you brush your teeth, which sometimes that's the better way to share it. That's some yeah. really positive framed you coaching. Say them positive. When you do this, I love making love with you. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think some of the ones that people don't think about are the ones that they have to do for themselves and maybe, you know, their spouse is tearing down the obstacles to that. But like when I am taking care of myself, that is an accelerator for me. Yeah. We always think about it. It's like what the other person does right. or doesn't do, but it's like, no, no, no. Like when I, um, wear something cute or sexy when I do these certain self care or hygiene habits, it really does something for me. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes it's not, and again, I'm, I, I'm leaning, leaning into my femaleness, but like sometimes it's not even about something that they just do for you. It's like something you guys do together. It's like a relational break and accelerator, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we allow for this much time or when we have this type of conversation um, or interactions the days leading up or when we, that's really powerful stuff that gets really overlooked or devalued. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's very, um, again, um, complex because we are complex as human beings. So I think, you know, um, for many males, you know, it's very sensory based, right? So the accelerators are the, what he sees and it's the sensory of it. And I love, I love to celebrate that with, with the gentlemen. Um, but I also think, um, you know, and I've heard a, a lot of men in, in my office talk about how, um, there is something really powerful in the sexual experience when, 
you know, there's health in the relationship or oh, yeah. they've gone and done a bonding activity together. They, you know, she joined him in his favorite hobby, you know, and it was yep. like, that was so fun. Like that, I think sometimes we act um, like, you know, the relational connection is just for the ladies, but you know, um, men, like men are more visual and sensory, you know, generally, is mm-hmm. generally can be more forward facing. And so some of those things are um, accelerators. Um, I think sometimes an accelerator that people don't know to name until they've gone through a process is doing your work, being a healthy human. I mean, you know, it's real attractive when you've been to counseling. When you have become a healthy person yourself and you're aware, like your spouse is going to experience that. And that is an accelerator. Absolutely. You know, um, when... It, you know, we've talked about all these different places on the continuum when your your heart posture believes the best, you know, and they come yep. and say, hey, I'm great with nurturing or connecting sex tonight. Well, that's an accelerator versus, yeah. um, well, fine. I'm going to go pout in the corner now. Yeah, you know? pouting and punishing is not helpful. <laughs> right. So I think about even just the interaction. Acceptance, affirmation, validation yeah. of you being, self-differentiation is a super big turn on to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like it when I'm allowed to be myself and we don't have to be the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, and, and to, when, I love how you talked about, you know, pay, paying attention to your own needs because I think, ooh, that really does get into healthy differentiation to go like, you know, when I am actively in yoga classes and I am taking my vitamins and I'm hydrating and I'm resting well, like, Makes a big difference. It makes a big difference, and it's a huge accelerator. And so, um, and I think even when we, okay, so then flip it around to the spouse, like even being supportive of that for your spouse to be like, yeah. oh, you know, hey, hon, I want you to go and play um, basketball or golf or, you know, I want you to go to yoga or I want you to, like, hop on the Peloton or hydrate your body or you know, buy those vitamins that make you feel good. And I think holistically, you know, it's, it's what we're getting at too, is it's more about this whole big context versus just this one moment. Like you lit the candle and the room was warm enough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And those things are important too. Let's get a bigger picture, people. A bigger picture. Cast, cast a, a bigger vision for this experience and how you can see that it's just this ongoing pursuit of, Break, you know, my where are my brakes and accelerators, and am I learning about my spouse's brakes and accelerators, and um, yep. how important that conversation is, and and you know, um, it it can be fun. I think people yeah. shy away from it because it's like I'm just going to hear this laundry list of breaks that I keep doing, and I think again, if you can pursue, focus on the accelerators, like. You, you know, we're kind of picking on the brush teeth, take a shower thing. But, you know, it's better to go, oh, I love it when. Smells matter (laughs) to all parties. Just saying. Yeah. I love it when versus, oh, I hate it when. You know. I mean, I think. It's rough, rough. Starting (laughs) starting point. (laughs) Which is a break or accelerator, right? Like, it's a break if you start with, you know, doing it in the negative. (laughs) You are stinky. (laughs) Um, yeah, something to note about this section, uh, or this part of the continuum, which we've said about, um, the previous as well. And we'll say about next week, 
um, is that there is there is still a variety of experiences here. So it's five two seven, like you said earlier. Like it is, mm-hmm. you know, there's different. I always think this is really interesting, and I actually don't think this is, at least for me, crystal clear from this particular writing on the concept. You know, I think it's a little bit left up to assumption or interpretation. So it'd be interesting to hear what you have to say. As we move across the continuum, what's increasing? I don't think it's intimacy because I don't think you have to swing from the chandeliers to have the most intimate experience. I think this is about intensity, Mm -hmm. but intensity on with a concept grid and map that is pursuing healthy intensity. Healthy intensity. Which we've pushed back on a lot. So I'm going to own that that's in the space right now. But I'm, I'm as I'm looking at this to talk about, it, I'm going, huh, like I'm having a moment. I'm having a learning moment right here where it's like, it's not that this increases intimacy because I've made the argument that nurturing might be the most intimate, the most demanding of true intimacy of all of them. But we really do. And this, and it may be one of the, one of my critiques of the continuum is that it, it makes a 10 all about intensity and length and how many orgasms or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, that's about intensity. That's not about intimacy. So I'd like to, ch- I mean, as much as I love this and I do love this concept map cause I think it overall really does help, but I, I would still caution people to assume that, the higher up you go on the continuum, the more intimate you are. That is not what this is saying. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Mistaking intensity for intimacy. I mean, that talking about huge Mythbuster air, I think, because we've gone intense is better than intimate. So we don't, we don't agree with that. We don't think that's what this is teaching, but you could cheaply teach this and think that that's what it's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to, as you're, I mean, as if you even look at the graph, it's easy. You could just take it for granted and go, oh, okay. I, I, best. I, I, I get it. Okay. Ten's best. And, and then, because I mean, I'm, I'm competitive too, and I, I'm, I want to yeah. do best. And I get that, but yes, I think. That's not what we're saying here. Mm-mm. It's about intensity and it's about level of investment. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Nurturing takes a lot. It's just a different type of cost. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well you'll understand that better when we unpack it next week, the eight to 10, uh, when we say investment. It takes more coordinating and details. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk about in this one, I think is just really important, although it can show up across any of these things. And typically, when it shows up, it actually shoots most couples down to the lower side of this into pity and duty sex is uh, sexual pain. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I are really hoping to do like a whole series on sexual pain um, in the near future. So you guys listen up for that because it's, it's a real passion for ours. But um, most, a lot of people when sexual pain shows up, depending on the type of sexual pain, because there's a wide variety of obstacles that can show up there. Um, 
um, a lot of couples let it shut down the entire process. I still think you can have nurturing, connecting, and even pretty passionate sex, despite challenges with sexual pain, depending mm-hmm. on the type of sexual pain. Um, we are not advocates to pushing through the pain. Please stop having painful sex if you're having it and get some good help. Someone who specializes in pelvic pain, um, either from a mental health, medical, or our favorite physical therapy, pelvic floor specialists. Um, But pain, pain interrupts the entire sexual process or a lot of it. And depending, again, depending on the type of pain, I don't want to oversimplify. It's not like a one size fits all on that. Um, but I would love to invite couples to find what they can do mm-hmm. and have fun with. Because you can be textbook definition, warm, slow, playful, tender, and passionate in a lot of the cases where there is a specific sexual behavior that is physically painful mm-hmm. or even emotionally painful. Yeah. You know, we always are trying to invite couples to go, what can you do? What is square within, you know, healthy, helpful, consensual, mutual, safe, fun, and pleasurable for you? And your whole body is an option on the table. Mm -hmm. And there may be certain behaviors that you can't pull off in the season because we've got to figure out what's causing the pain. But, um... It is possible. I do find that pain is a big challenge for, for a lot of couples with good, with good to have good connecting sex on a regular basis because it interrupts our easy grid. Yeah, it does. Yeah. For like what to do to have sex with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think because it is, um, sexual pain struggles are complex and overwhelming and you know most folks don't know where to start to get help and so there's just so much happening kind of talk about contextual so much happening in the context and I think there's a lot of assumptions that because a certain experience is painful or a lot of experiences are painful then there's nothing to experience Mm -hmm. and so um again I think a lot of times we um we're trying to, and not toxic positivity, but positively reframe what can. What can you do? What is available because there is a lot. Well, also, like, and, right, in order to be congruent grieving, you probably have some desires to do some things and while you're healing from the pain, um, to talk about brakes and accelerators, that there's some, you know, pain is it's a huge break, but really focusing on what can, what does accelerate, what is available, Mm-hmm. while you do you talk about vulnerability and congruence while you still grieve and heal and work through a, a really complex um, issue and I have found that the couples that work through sexual pain end up doing these middle two versions of the continuum mm-hmm. when they have done their work and they've really gone through their process they have some of the sweetest most intimate relationships and some of the best sex lives I've ever heard reported because they have just done such great leaning in and in, in a really hard context. It is just so painful. I mean, yeah. physically, emotionally, and relationally. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I think, 
I mean, we could talk about lots of different facets of, of sex, but for the purpose of like going over the continuum, this is probably the easier one to describe. We went ahead and like expounded on some of the challenges that might get in the way, um, based on our experience to kind of texture it, if you will. Um, but with that being said, we'll go ahead and start to wrap up. Um, like we always do. What's your takeaway friend? How, um, I don't know, just how good this, this place in the continuum is. Um, and still ask us to lean in and do the work. Um, but probably an area that I think a lot of couples do, and I know we could all do, can take for granted. And so just kind of celebrating that, you know, when these moments happen and you go, oh, look at us connecting, kind of on the same page. And what a sweet gift that is. And to not miss that because we're looking for a different point in the yeah. uh, continuum. So, like, just what a gift this this experience is for, for the sexual experience. Um, mm-hmm. What about you? What you take well, you know, I'm having, I had a moment in the middle of this whole thing where I'm like, oh, I just never dawned on me that like this continuum could misteach that intensity is better. And so that was a, a big one for me. And then I think the idea that I, I do think that, I mean, if we're going to risk at the risk of oversimplifying something, this is, I think this is the easy category based on the way you and I are unpacking it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the text says, most sex is between three to seven. So it includes nurturing sex. That's, that's the sex that most people are having most of the time. Barry McCarthy would say most people have good enough to great sex 80% of the time, you know? Um, by the way, here's the nugget 20% of the time it can flop or be funky or fall apart and you're very normal. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think those are my takeaways that like, Mm, that's big. Easy doesn't mean best on any level. And that I would not want to continue to teach this continuum and for people to think that 10 is best. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think that's true. Mm. I love it. Spicy take. (laughs) <laughs> probably maybe <laughs> I like it. okay guys thank you for joining us uh, next week we will go over the last category and then the week after that we're going to take some of the Q&A from our uh, Instagram um, home and answer some questions about sex pertaining to some of these things for you guys in this lovely series see you next week thank you for joining us Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain. 